Boom. Hello and welcome to the Executive Protection Lifestyle Podcast, Season 3. With your host, Byron Rogers, this podcast is dedicated to the executive protection practitioner, the private security professional. In this podcast, we're gonna talk about the mental, emotional, psychological, physiological fitness that goes into being an efficient and effective executive protection agent. Whether you're in law enforcement, whether you're a mom that's looking at how to protect her children or a father that's focused on how to protect his family, I believe this podcast has something for all of you. We might even get into some tales from the crypts of true Hollywood stories from time to time. I'm doing this podcast because I feel the reality of this job is simple. If you really want to be good at executive protection, it's more than just a job. It really is a lifestyle. And those of you who've been in the game for any serious amount of time, you already know what I'm saying is true. So if that sounds interesting to you, enjoy the show. Out. Boom! What's up, you guys? Byron Rogers here with another awesome episode of the Protector Podcast or Executive Protection Lifestyle Podcast. I'll probably put this on both. I'm here with an honored guest, Dr. Mary Beth, author of the book, The Protector. How you doing, Mary Beth? I'm doing great, Byron. Thanks for having me. This is awesome. Uh, oh, thank you. It's awesome. It's uh, it's an honor. You know, I, uh, I've been looking for, you know, women in our space you know, in the protection space, just anywhere in the protection space. And you probably know a few, but to bring on, to inspire other women with, to inspire men with, you know, just, just to, sh- just to someone to speak yeah. for them, you know? Yeah. Thank and, you. Uh, yeah. yeah, I know. I, I mean, honestly, I haven't really worked in the business in a long time. I still consult, but I mean, I still sometimes get calls. It's like, you're the only woman I know. And I'm like, that can't be possible. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we, and I, and we, you know, us, kind of business owner guys, we we're always looking for good females in the industry. We're always looking for good people, but every yeah. detail requires a good woman. And most of the time, because you got a family there, you know? Yeah. Um, and it, uh, it's interesting. It's never an issue of tactics. It's always an, an issue of character. <laughs> when you really start looking at your good people. Yeah. yeah. Do you find, do you find like, okay, like a family, you might say, oh, you know, we're looking for a woman and then like, you don't find a woman. How are you finding the women in a family, you know, working with all men protectors? I mean, it's just really the networking, you know, we just, the net, the network. So, you know, we, we, I just reach out to all my buddies and keep on doing that. And okay. okay. So I, you have eventually found somebody. It's not that you, you end up just saying, I'm sorry, we tried, but we can't find anybody. Like what's the current. Yeah. I haven't had that outcome. I haven't been to where I, I couldn't find it. Okay. So, okay. Good. Good. Um, good. So, and I, and I do find also with private security, sometimes it'll take a female to a little while to gain traction and it does with anyone. But usually once they like understand the game and a few guys or a few business owners are willing to sign off on them and they get some street credit, they have a tendency to skyrocket to the top of the game because right. they're so then someone's like, hey, yeah. yeah, exactly. And, and yeah, I get that. There. So it's interesting. It's a good time, you know, um, but I was honored to I'm honored to have you on the podcast because, you know, usually I ask for a bio and you sent over your bio and I was just like. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> it's a it's a interesting path, right? Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Busy. It's amazing. Yeah, I get I get bored easily, Byron. You can tell. And it's like even right now, I'm kind of like, okay, what's next? What's next? What's next? Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. So would you mind just kind of going into that background of yours 
briefly? Sure, I'll start. I'll start from like my years as a protection agent, and I started as a federal law enforcement agent um, in the awesome. United States Secret Service under George Bush Senior. So you can get an idea of how old I am. Um, and that was quite short-lived. It was just about a thirteen-month thing for me. And you'll have to read my book to understand and um, know what happens. Um, and then what happened because of that was I went into the the world of private. Uh, contracting. And I really bounced back and forth between um, private protection, executive protection, and investigations. My book that you mentioned, The Protector, um, with that long subtitle, is about my years as a protection agent um, and all the, you know, interesting missions I did, everything from, you know, families, uh, wealthy Fortune 500 families, to what I'd say some of the shitholes of the world, like Port-au-Prince, Haiti, uh, Bogota, Colombia, which at the time was the kidnapped capital of the world, uh, Lima, Peru, right after um, Abamael Guzman, who was the head of the Sendero Luminoso, the Shining Path, right? Like literally we were there within two weeks of his arrest and they were still retaliating against the U.S. and bombing hotels near us. And it was, you know, a little bit of a shit show. But th- as you know, like uh, we thrive and I thrive on adrenaline rushes. And it was like, you know, okay, I made it home alive today. And there were tanks parked out like in Lima, Peru, there were tanks parked outside in front of our hotel. And we were told constantly, oh, there's a threat. You can't go out. I go, well, so I'm going to sit here as a sitting duck. Yeah. You know, no way. So I'd go out, and I'd be like the only person in a restaurant or the only person walking the streets, you know? Yeah. Um, and then after my stint in Haiti, uh, which was 95, 96, I kind of got a little bit burned out. It's not the best word for it, but we'll just call it that. And I went back and got my master's in forensic psychology. Uh, That was a two-year endeavor. And I started to work. And so I ended up, that was the end, I graduated at the end of 99 and moved to San Diego. And I was working in the field of, you know, stalking, anti-stalking. And then 9-11 happened about a year and a half, two years later, and I ended up becoming one of five instructors in what's called the uh, Anti-Terrorism Assistance Program. It's a U.S. State Department program. Okay. It was started way before, but they were moving their program uh, from D.C. to a much bigger facility so they could expand it, and they moved that to Albuquerque, New Mexico. So I did that for a year and a half, three weeks out of the month, and we say we trained friendly foreign nationals because they were vetted by the State Department, which was not always the case. But um, we won't talk about those stories. <laughs> and, um, then I got an offer from the U.S. Embassy in Bogota, Colombia, and uh, to work as the U.S. Security Advisor to the Minister of Defense of Colombia, which was probably the highlight of my career, like the most challenging, the most dangerous. Uh, had a bounty on my head. My teammates and I did. We were three people. And then turned into four once one year later into that, just as yours truly was getting bored and was about to leave, we got a whole huge influx of money into our budget. And so we started a training academy down there, sort of like our version of, you know, the federal law enforcement training center. Um, I did that. And I said, okay, I won't leave until I train every single member on the team, you know, the president's team, the vice president's team and the minister of defense's team. So I stayed in total two and a half years. Wow. Yeah. And then eventually, um, because that was, oh, three to 05, I came back, I was working with an investigative and protection firm. And then I met my now husband and merged lives about a year after um, starting to date to the East Coast, which was like, okay, watch my face. Like, ew, like as a super independent woman, I'm moving and giving up my position, you know, for a guy, you know, but what I ended up doing then is was like, okay, cause his, his daughter, you know, was living there and then she was living yeah. with us. And so I was like, okay, as a, 
to, for me, because I was losing my um, equity in, a, in the firm and I was losing my position because we had to be physically there. And so I was like, OK, that's when I made my decision to go back and get my doctorate. I was like, I got to do something for me because I've just kind of uh-huh. lost my livelihood. Like gave it away. I could have gone back into contracting, but I just wasn't appealing to me at the time. So at the time I was like, OK, well, this is the time then I'm going to get my doctorate. Yeah. So that was 08. And I graduated um, with my doctorate in 13. And so since then, I still consult in stalking. I still consult in some forensic stuff. I still consult a little bit in protection, but not as much anymore. But really, I'm focused more on teaching now. Um, I teach at the George Washington University in D.C. because they're online and I currently live in Santa Fe, New Mexico. And I teach abnormal psychology and the psychology of crime and violence. That latter course I created, as I was talking to you earlier, and um, they allowed me to teach it. It's pretty interesting. A lot of blood and gore. Um, Psychology behind the, the minds of the criminals. And I also do a lot of consulting. So I do mental health trainings. I have a lot of clients, um, mostly now virtual. But so, yeah, that's kind of my life currently. Yeah. It's a crazy path, huh? It's beautiful. (laughs) It's outstanding. (laughs) You know, it's It's a lot. It's a lot. A lot of of mountaintops and a lot of really done, you know. Yeah. Like I said. That's the way we're supposed to live for sure. And I can't wait to dig into you the uh, psychology and then the stalking things, you know, so we'll yeah. sure. Yeah. So who, one of my favorite questions, who are you at your core underneath mm-hmm. the work? Yeah. Stubborn. <laughs> uh, I kind of get that sense. To be yeah. <laughs> uh, determined, a woman of integrity. It's probably my biggest uh, thing. It's not just honesty, it's integrity. It's like doing the right thing and uh, even when people aren't looking, is what I say. Um, it's really different. It's it overlaps with honesty, but it's still very different. And it's like kind of like being able to look in the mirror, you know, and know you're a, that you're a good person. But um, yeah, I would say all of those things. And I, you know, c- clearly uh, determined and um, driven, you know. So yeah, I think that's me. Outstanding. I'm a lot of fun in my core too, but you know, it's that yeah. whole balance, you know, work hard, play hard. So Heck yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Intense. I dig it. What would you say set you on this path? You know, like you found yourself with some tactical stuff. and Yeah. And then, oh. Yeah. So I would say that's a combination um, and a lot to do with my upbringing, meaning. So I'm one of seven kids. Okay. Uh, I'm the fifth. You're getting so, roughed up. You're, you're oh, like in the mix. Like. <laughs> it's, it's, we were six girls and one boy and my brother's the oldest, right? So oh. here's the interesting thing. I know. Yeah. So I want like, you guys, I want you and your audience to, to fathom this. I tell mm-hmm. people this all the time. I go, imagine <clears throat> that you're the fifth kid of five in a row. In other words, we were one year apart. And so as you, as me, the fifth yeah. kid gets brought home from the hospital. You've got a one-year-old, a two-year-old, a three-year-old, and a four-year-old. I say, would you not just want it to hand me over to the neighbor? Like, yeah. what the hell? And that was the era where, like, my dad worked. He didn't really help. Yeah. yeah. I was just who they were. And so it's like survive uh, here. Seriously. And for me being the fifth, think about it. Most yeah. people understand this. Like there wasn't a lot of oversight. Your parents only have so much, you know, with, bandwidth. bandwidth. Yeah. <laughs> so that really, for me, plays into me being an observer, me kind of getting away with what I could kind of, yeah. being bit, you know, um, doing a lot of observing of my siblings and family dynamics and being super competitive. Think about like, how else do you get noticed if you aren't like outstanding? Yeah, absolutely. So 
you know? I was a great athlete. All my siblings are great athletes, but I had a little bit more height. I'm 5'10". Nice. And so, yeah, I was a volleyball player. I made it to junior Olympics. Awesome. Uh, and my siblings were mostly, you know, gymnasts. Ten- we were all tennis players, but I was like, all of them play tennis. I'm not going to just be another, yeah, my maiden name is Wilkes. I'm not going to be another Wilkes that plays tennis. So I played volleyball and right. they all studied German. And I was like, what the hell? Who studies German? Who cares? Like yeah. I studied Spanish. So it was like this whole thing of trying to distinguish myself that I didn't really realize at the time, but it was like sick of being compared to all my older siblings. Right, right. So I think picking law enforcement which was for me like this big light bulb when I was taking this class my junior year of high school that was uh, an elective. And I was a junior, most of the other people were seniors, but I was sitting there going, oh my God, like I found what I want to do. Yeah. And then I chose my university uh, based on that. I chose Indiana University because they had a good criminal justice program. Yeah. And then, you know, but the thing was, I didn't apply right out of undergrad to federal agencies. I I had studied junior year, second semester overseas in Seville, Spain. And, um, you know, a lot of people will say this, but when you, when you go over and you like are practicing your language skills, you realize how little, you know, as you're starting to learn. So I told my parents when I graduated, it's like, Oh, I think I'll go spend a summer in Spain because I want to be more bilingual. And I ended up spending three more years. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So it was awesome. And so, yeah, I I, um, came back three years later and that's when I applied to the Secret Service and the DEA. And I would have gone with whoever called me first. It just happened to be the Secret Service. Outstanding. That's wild. Yeah, that's good stuff to know. It's interesting how our upbringing like just Hmm. can set us on a course in any direction. 100%. Gives us the tools we end up using for a lifetime sometimes. Yeah, good, bad, or good, bad, or otherwise, those things make yeah. better. Yeah, one hundred percent. That kind of map gets written, and then we apply it as things yeah. changing. Hopefully, yeah. we're changing. <laughs> you know. Hopefully, yeah. yeah. All right. No, that's good stuff. And then your book, The Protective, which is such a strong title. You got that one. That's a great title. Yeah, and then I had that huge subtitle because I think yes. we thought it would get lost. I worked with editors, and so. Uh-huh. Um, I know that the, I gotta be honest, like my subtitle and the cover were modified and they, they modified the subtitle, but my recollection is the, the protector. And then it's a woman's journey from the secret service to guarding P, uh, VIPs in some of the world's most dangerous places. But nice. I, they changed it a little bit because it was so, uh, so mouthful. Right. Well, because like the messages that comes out of us, you know, yeah. is like, we really like, and then, you know, I like I have a hard time cutting down or editing my own work. Like uh, I oh write a blog or something and it won't fit on Instagram or on whatever social media platform. I have to give it to my assistant to edit it. To, Otherwise, to do like, it yeah. This is so important. You need this, okay. this, this, and it's okay. Well, like, you have an assistant. Okay. So that's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm trying. I'm trying. <laughs> but uh, yeah, what they have here is teaching women how to defy the odds and win in a world full of challenges, risks and pitfalls. Mm-hmm. It's great. I think it's great. I think yeah. Do. You know, I mean, you know, just like you were saying, it's really hard yeah. to find women in the field and think about this. This was 20 something, 30, God, 30 years ago. Oh yeah. So, you know, um, you know, I, I, I listen, if anybody tells you otherwise, there's massive advantages to being a, a female and a very, you know, male dom. If, if you right. like men, I should say. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And you like the competition, the challenge and, yeah. There's a couple of like not great things, but I would say, what do you expect if you're going to walk into a totally male dominated 
career. It's like, you don't expect the red carpet to be laid out for you. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love that. I, um, you know, even being a black man, I've learned the same thing. You know, there are advantages, you know, Mm -hmm. just what your, your perspective dictates your performance. Thank you. It's like, whether you see them, you step into them, you lean into them, and then you're willing to prove yourself. Mm -hmm. And I think all humans have to prove themselves. But if you're in a space where you're the only or anything close to the only or minority, and my grandparents raised me like, you got to be twice as good, twice as strong, smart to get half as much respect. It's the way it is. Mm -hmm. Just play Mm -hmm. the game, you know. Um, what would you I say? Think some- I think, I think I though, your hard work, from what I understand, it eventually evens out because people realize it's like, I mean, like, like, I'm sure you're thinking the same thing. Like people just wait for us to screw up. But then when we yeah. don't, we just keep proving it. It's like, huh. You know, like, that, yeah. And then you become an equal, right? Um, yeah. And then you're kind of like special. It's like, yo, we, yes. got, this, we got this guy right yeah. here. We got this yeah. guy right here. Yeah. And then yeah. they're really and, proud of you, actually. And it's so fun to kind of like, feel that gradual turnaround a hundred percent it's beautiful it's a beautiful thing absolutely i'm glad to hear that that's your perspective yeah for sure are there are there any advantages that stick out to you just for females listening that, yeah that yeah for sure because even to even in this day and age but particularly back then and through my time as a protection agent because women were so rare and they still are yeah. Uh, and I'll, I think I said this to you before you started recording, but I'm going to repeat it because I think it's important for people to hear. When I was in law enforcement in my agency, in the Secret Service, w- women were 9%. And now I think across the board in law enforcement, it hovers between 13 and 15%. Mm. And I say to people, I get sort of defensive of the agencies. It's not that they aren't hiring us. They can't keep us. We leave to go have babies. We leave to get married. We leave for like more stability. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I know so many of the females that I train with that left for those reasons. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there are very few that I know that have stayed long enough to kind of gain those top positions. Interesting. Um, so I think that's really important. Um, but what I would go back to your question about advantages, particularly when I was overseas, because I spent so much time in Latin countries mm-hmm. that are chauvinistic, let's be honest. Yeah. particularly 20 and 25 years ago. Oh, for sure. It was a sure. massive sure. advantage. No, even in this country, a lot of people don't know. I've had, I had people say to me again, this was 25 years, 25 years ago. Oh, yeah. I didn't know there were women secret service agents. Oh, do you oh. carry a gun? Like you know, an like, and I was like, yes, I do, ma'am. You know, and that made me that much more proud, mm-hmm. you know? So in that, in saying that, and you know this, any advantage you can get that might buy you a few seconds to overcome what shit might happen yeah. is great. So so think that I'm Whatever some secretary. Yeah. <laughs> I even had, I, I, wrote, I wrote this in my book, when I was in Peru and I was protecting um, the Organization of American States, what they called an ambassador, because he was sent to run the election mission. Mm-hmm. Every single day it was... Oh, you must be the ambassador's daughter. Oh, you must be the ambassador's secretary. Oh, are you the ambassador's affair? Yeah, yeah. Every time I'm like, mm-hmm, yep, yep. And, and and I've had people say to me, Byron, wow, weren't you offended? I go, are you kidding me? That could have saved my life and his. Yeah. Nobody thought I was carrying the weapon. Yeah. So it was great. So talk about advantage, right? So being that sort of unique percent slash doesn't exist in any of those countries, didn't at the time, I should say. Right. Um, huge advantage for me and my protectee. Absolutely. 
That's yeah. Nice. And I loved that. I was just like, you know, and I worked mostly with men, as you can imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, a few times on the families, I had a couple of women I worked with, but mostly in my missions overseas, like Haiti, it was 10 guys and me. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that was a little rougher because it wasn't, um, it wasn't a country where like, like when I was in Bogota, I went to movies, I went shopping, I went blah, blah, blah. Not in Haiti. No, no, no. No, it was a little <laughs> bit more lonely. It was like books and movies. Yeah, Haiti's a yeah. whole other story. Yeah, yeah. And at that era, it was a little bit loco. It really, geez, yeah. I can only imagine. Yeah. I've been there a few times. And it was yeah, Port-au-Prince. Pardon? Where were you Port-au-Prince? in Port-au-Prince? Port-au-Prince is where we landed. And then we went off, you know, I don't even remember. We're out in the bush. <laughs> and, you know, you land in Port-au-Prince and you hear just like, it was a mob was outside. And there's the sewage that's like open in the streets right next to the market. And that, remember that drive from Port Prince, the smells and just the the chaos, you know, I just remember right. feeling that and being like, all right, guys, we're here to work, you know. And you were like wondering what kind of disease you were going to get. Yeah. You know, like, so I'll, I'll tell you a funny. It's going to be like a field out the whole time, boys. It's going to be interesting. It's, it's you, you almost just can't believe that it's for real. And some yeah, of you see yeah. Um, I'm going to tell you a little um, tidbit. I'll ask you the question and see if you can guess. So do you know what the biggest, so prior to the AIDS epidemic, because there was some belief at a time that the AIDS, that AIDS started at a, uh, at a resort in Haiti. So prior to the AIDS epidemic, what was the biggest export from Haiti? The biggest export from Haiti? I know you're not going to guess, but I have no idea. <laughs> so it was human cadavers because it, so they sent them to medical facilities for research because it was like this medical phenomenon, how people could survive in such raunchy, unhealthy conditions. Wow. That, and it doesn't shock me. And at the same time, Haiti is so, the terrain is so beautiful. Yes. It's like, it's like minus like what has been done to the terrain, like the yes. whole people in the thing. Yeah, but, but it's they just have an appreciation right. because it's survival for them. Yeah, they don't have time to worry about those. That's not beauty. It's like, how do I survive with my eight family members living in a one-room mud hut? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's interesting. It's it's a wild yeah. place. Yeah. Um, young women self-esteem. Break it down for us. I'm really interested in this because uh, I mean, I've, I've you know I've got sisters and women in my yeah. life. Yeah. Really yeah. So again, this will probably be another long-winded answer, but so this is, this is something where when I look back at my path, which has been unique mm-hmm. um, and, and varied and weird, but I did, so I, I have a belief that if it weren't for my level of confidence and self-esteem, I could not have survived in the field of protection because of that sort of male dominance and, and et cetera, you know, and you know, that, that I feel is a huge factor that played into that. And in, when I went back to get my doctorate, my entire dissertation was I created what's called a cognitive behavioral protocol. So cognitive behavioral theory, you know, what we think translates into how we behave, me, me, mitigated or mediated by our emotions. Okay. So I created a 13 session protocol to increase self-esteem in young women. Outstanding. Right. So but it goes along the way. So now teaching at a university uh, and having written my book, my although I love when I read reviews written by men, don't get me wrong, yeah. I love it that men are reading it. You know, my ultimate goal is to affect women in the sense of like that, to increase their self, to let them know they can do anything, that they belong in the room, that, 
you know, it's what we tell ourselves mm-hmm. that sometimes defeats us. Right. So, oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, I'm, a, I'm, I have gotten some really great, uh, feed, like I tell two stories that I'm very proud of that were early on in, um, feedback from people reading my book and both females. And one of them was a woman that I went to high school with. And she said, Mary Beth, thank you so much for writing this book. I just finished it. And you encouraged me to make a decision that I've been putting off for a decade. And I was like, wow. Uh, so that's all she said. And I write it back and I'm like, Aaron, what was the decision? Well, yeah, yeah. Right. Like, what is it? What, yeah. So she tells me that she had been miserable at work, that you know, she didn't jibe with the people, that she like it was affecting her physical health. But after she read my book, she's like, what the hell am I thinking? She quit. Yeah, I am so happy. And of course, I'm asking myself what it took me so long. Right. Mm -hmm. That was the first story. The second one was a woman who is actually a federal agent and is currently fighting for her job back. And and I talk and she said to me, I got to admit, things were getting down to the wire and we're in mediation. I started to get nervous that I was going to lose or lose more because mediation, nobody really wins. Everybody loses something. Right. Yeah. So she said, I started to get nervous and I was going to pull a dirty trick. Mm. I won't say what she was going to do. But she said, after I read your book, I couldn't do it. It was like about integrity and I couldn't do it. That's outstanding. Yeah. So those are the kinds of things that are like the goal of the book, right? And the goal of just increasing people's, women's, I'd say more again. Um, I do believe, you know, I had this conversation when I was in graduate school with a, a, a black male. He said to me, listen, I love what you're doing, but like, could you help me translate that to men? Because I said, I, I don't know. I said, Rayvan, I know that men are affected as well, but my whole, my whole passion is for young women. Right. So you can take my work. I think it pertains to anybody. Yeah. But you can tweak it for what you think the issues are amongst your male or the, if you was working specifically with the black male population, yeah. but you're welcome to have my dissertation and do with it what you want. Yeah, Absolutely thing is the young women and I love the whole college age kid that's why I really love my teaching I can really relate to them yeah. they're also at that stage where they aren't under their parents rule so if they come to therapy or if they're studying psychology it's on their own volition not being shoved to go you yeah. know figure stuff out so they're more open they're, they're more porous hundred uh, percent absolutely I I always you know you can't outperform your self-concept you know mm. so this whole this this self-concept, this confidence, right, that comes from experience, it's so important. And um I like that term by the way. You can't outperform your self-concept. That's awesome. I might no, steal that. Do it. I got it <laughs> someone at some point in some YouTube video, right? You know, okay. but um, yeah, it's it's such a big thing, you know, and it's interesting the world, the way the world reacts to you once you really kind of know who you are, you know. Some sometimes you'll, you know, they'll say you're arrogant or this, that, and the next thing, but you just you just have to know who you are so yeah. it doesn't pull you apart, you know, as yeah. you grow. But would you, oh, do you know, to, people are always trying to knock you down. So they are. God bless them. They do. It just is part of the game, especially if you're trying to do so. If you're that tall poppy or you're just trying to make a contribution, stand by, you know? Yeah. Um, are there any like ABCs or one, two, threes? You know, obviously these people need to get your book. But is there mm-hmm. like one or two just like little jewels you can, um, throw out there for the ladies listening? Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, going back to what we were just talking about, the cognitive facet, quit telling yourself. Conversation. Quit criticizing. Like you can be, you can be hard on yourself because that's a good thing, but yes. don't stop the self-criticism. I just had a really intense, I had a, one of my former graduate teaching assistants 
mm-hmm. having like a little bit of a crisis because she didn't do great on the polygraph the first time around. She's getting her second chance. And I'm like, she's like, oh my God. Like she started that, what I call catastrophizing. It was like, oh yeah. my God, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to get in. They aren't calling me back. I'm not going to make it in. My family, and it's like, yeah. wait, 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 take a deep breath. And, and so, you know what we did for the next three days? She yeah. created mantras. She yeah. started realizing that she was doing a lot of self-criticizing and she started realizing and doing like that we call thought stopping. It's like, stop that. Stop being mean to yourself. Like you're awesome. Right. And right. so I told her, you need to put mantras up where you're going to pass by every day. Mine is you're stronger than you think you are. Yeah, that's great. Uh, and it's like a reminder of like when you have a crappy day or when you just have a little bit of self-doubt. Uh-huh. Little words. I've done it with all of my clients. I'm not kidding yeah. you. This little word, I don't care if you put a little sticky note on your computer. Do what you, put it where you want, put it in the refrigerator. I don't care. Little things that you say to yourself, you belong. You're stronger than you think you are. You rock, whatever. You know, whatever your superpower is, write that down. I call them superpowers. Yeah. Write it down for a reminder. Like, again, you know, especially with this crazy last year on earth, I call it the twilight zone. Um, We need reminders of who we are because I think a lot of us have gotten a little lost. 100%. No, the quality of your life will depend on the quality of the conversations you have. Mm-hmm. 100%. Like, yeah. it's, uh, and I, because I, even for me, like, I'm always listening to motivational and like positive things, mm-hmm. building myself up inside, you know. That's uh, awesome. Something I really hope a lot of other people do, you know. I've been trying to encourage them to do it for years, but these conversations we're having in our minds are just horrible. Made. Yeah, they really impact. If you even catch yourself feeling bad, it's like, go back to the conversation you're having in here. (laughs) You know, that's, yeah. And, and, you know, listen, this sounds a little bit um, self-promoting, but I wrote three or four blogs on psych. I I blog for psychologytoday.com. Nice. Um, And it was on my original blog and I decided to repeat them as my first entries and they're about passive speech. So I say things like stop saying can't. It's so self-defeating. Stop saying try. I'm trying to. Okay. I'm trying to. <laughs> it's just going oh. stock. Oh. Yeah. I have to. My third I'm one is my, have to. Yeah, you don't have to do best. anything in this world uh, but die. Yeah. yeah. So read those. And I, you know, I've gotten really interesting feedback um, about those. And people yeah. that say, I, like I, I did it once for when I was um, doing my postdoc work and we had to do something called grand rounds. And I was like, you know what? It's not super psychology related, but it is. And I'm going to do my grand rounds on positive speech. And to this day, and this was eight years ago, um, I have people say, I still, I'm still not saying can't, or every time I say it, I think of you, you know, and I'm like, love it. Love it. Outstanding. Outstanding. That's good. Positive speech for anybody, including women, you know, Mm -hmm. saying can't have to, that like makes us prisoners of our own life. Have to, you don't have to do shit. Yeah. yeah. There's always a choice. There's always a choice. (laughs) My husband will say to me, Oh, you have to pay taxes. I said, no, there are consequences if you don't pay taxes. (laughs) I love it. But you only have to die because we don't, as we sit here today, unless they come up with some kind of crime. You never know the way this last year went, but as of right now, yeah. Uh It's such a strong, it's that it's, it's such a strong kind of that internal, uh, you know, locus of control. It's, it's, yes. it's really taking your power back and using yes. it, you know, it's yes. beautiful. Yeah. Uh, I just, I really, I'm going to make people listen. I got a few people in mind that are going to have to listen to this episode. <laughs> okay. <laughs> love it. Um, I guess getting back into the protection stuff, what would you sure. say major takeaways from your experience with Washington field office? 
Yeah. Uh, first of all, the Washington field office um, is really the epicenter of the Secret Service. New York is a, is a really important investigative office, but because of the president and the vice president and their families living in D.C. and all the foreign dignitaries coming through on official visits, um, it was uh, the epicenter. Very busy. You know, headquarters is there. It's a little bit, you know, intimidating. But the Washington field office, when I was there, was a very well-oiled machine. And, you know, um, most people don't know, I shouldn't say most, a lot of people don't know that we're actually, we, we began as an investigative um, agency with a mission um, of counterfeit currency. And that's, that's why we were under the Department of Treasury. We're now, after 9-11, got put under Homeland Security. Welcome. But, um, so there's this really tough balance in such a busy office with so much protection work that um, you got to try to balance your investigations. And so, um, you know, they didn't put so much pressure on you. They said, you just got to do what we called status marks and then like make a phone call, contact somebody. But we had so much protection work that, um, you know, George Bush senior era that, you know, in, and we weren't, you know, so just to distinguish for your guests, mm -hmm. we have something called presidential protection detail and vice presidential protection detail. As a DC field office, Washington field office agent. That is not what I did. I was, I did, but you have, as you know, concentric rings of protection. Right. And the very ring around the president was PPD, presidential protection division. Oh. And mine was the second ring. So field office did supplemental. We would be like maybe um, motorcade card drivers, or we were the middle people around say a hotel, or we were running a command post, but we were not those people that were on PPD and VPPD. Yeah, on the body, awesome. Yeah, so um, Washington, the other thing about the Washington field office for me that was different from other agents that were brand new is I was, believe it or not, the only Spanish speaker in the entire office. And you're like, where's the common sense people yeah, I know, right? like place some agents here. I got whipped all over the place as a new agent. It was like um, yeah. agents that were going to do advances because a dignitary was coming in from Spain or Central America. They'd be like, Mary Beth, yeah. uh, I know, like, be careful if you say yes, this, this is going to start like, a, you know, the dam's going to open. And I was like, of course yeah. I'm going to go. This is great. Like I was whipped. I got to do undercover stuff. I got to do oh. raids and interviews because I was, I spoke Spanish. Yeah. It was so great. And so I got to do some really interesting stuff in the short time that I was there that most new agents would never have been exposed to. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Your gift will make room for you, you know? So like yeah. Yeah. And I really loved it to be able to like every phone call that came through, it's like, uh, Wilkes, uh, we got another Spanish speaker. I don't understand a freaking thing they're saying. I'm like, great. Pass it through. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. That's good to go. Yeah. It was fun. So, and it was a well-oiled machine out there. What would it you say? Yeah. Yeah. What would you say about the working foreign presidents outside of the United States? Major. Yeah. Yeah. I have that distinction of being the only female that's ever protected a president outside the United States and a foreign president. So right. um, that is so that was the that was in Haiti. Um, and that was also Colombia, but not as direct. In other words, the mission in Haiti was to protect Jean Bertrand Aristide. So back in. 94 after he had there was a coup yeah. when he first became president and then he okay. went to France and then we brought him to the states and under Bill Clinton he decided that it was time for him to go back so they sent originally in 94 uh November a team of 21 former seals and green berets 
with him thinking it might be a potential warlike situation. Think of this could be a show. Yeah. A year later, that team of 21 had pared down to 10 and only two of the original team members uh, were, had survived and they were both former special forces medics. Okay. So I ended up getting a call. Um, so right at that time, always all men. Okay. I get a call from the detail leader. Um, his name is Dave Johnson. I don't know if you've ever come across him. Um, he's a former um, army CID guy, great guy. And he said to me, listen, Mary Beth, um, I'm wondering if you'd be willing to come down as what we call vacation guy. They had just gotten a huge extension on the contract enough where the guys knew, okay, we can go on vacation without like wanting to get every last dollar we could. Cause they're, they were getting like one month extension. So they always wanted to stay. Right. So when they got this six month extension, they started a vacation rotation. It was actually three months. And they said, we want you to come down as vacation guys. So these guys can rotate out. And we have a lot of women that are, that we're training um, for, to protect Aristide. And we eventually are going to be out of here. So we would love for you to be a role model for them, not only as a trainer, but as somebody that works with men and is in, in the protection world. So right. I was like, yeah, why not? I'll come down. Right. And I came down and within a month less, I think it was less, uh, one of my team members left and I did not presume they would give me the position because I, my um, coming down there was not necessarily warmly welcomed by everyone. Oh, really? Oh, oh yeah, no. The majority, okay. yes, there were a couple that not so much, but that's okay. Right. Um, and so um, they offered me the position to stay as permanent. And I ended up staying about eight and a half months. And I will be honest. Yeah. Um, that's where I kind of had a little bit of burnout because yeah. of a lot of things. First of all, again, a little bit lonely, not much to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, not, not any women. Yeah. To talk to. Yeah. There were, there were nurses out on the base, but that was a huge effort. And I, you know, they weren't socializing. I wasn't socializing yeah. and my darling teammates were, you know, um, engaged in certain activities that made me a little bit jaded. Um, yeah. Yeah. Concubines, um, Women of the night. Guys. Uh, and we're talking happily married men. And oh, boy. Uh, um, so I got a little bit jaded and I was like, yeah. you know what? I'm sitting at the command oh, post at one point and I was like, you know what? I gotta get the F out of here. Like, yeah. it's time for me to go back to graduate school. So I went back to the States and um, started looking into master's programs. And I found one that I love, which was the master's in forensic psychology. And it was in New York City in John Jay College. Yeah. The problem was I didn't undergrad us. Uh, I, I majored in criminal justice. I hadn't majored in psychology. So I needed some more credits. So for those of you that are listening that are, you know, around my age or maybe, you know, 45 or 50, we used to do something called correspondence courses. You would do these courses by mail. So I ended up working with a family for a year in Dallas um, while I got that done, did my GRE, got accepted and then went to graduate school. Nice. Yeah, so that, that crazy path, right? That just those shitty things that then push you into something really great. Yeah, no, it's beautiful. It's like if you keep going, like things, you can find a good lane and then hit it. I've And I've also always been amazed at how like I'll have a job or a client or something I like, but the social environment can really, really, really bear down and make, mm-hmm. like I've had clients and principals that were, that were very difficult. But because the social environment with the people I'm working with is so positive, it was like, hey, like, yeah, this is know, awesome. whatever, this is great, you know. And then I've had other ones where the clients are simple, are great. And then the social environment, it just makes it like, man, I don't know if I even want to be here with these guys, <laughs> you know. Yeah. 
It's very interesting. Yeah, I mean, it can really bring you down if you stay in yeah. that environment long enough. So yeah, yeah. good for you. Yeah, yeah, nice uh, to have a <laughs> yeah, no, thank you. Thank you. Um, major differences between the private side and, um, you know, working the government side. Yeah. Um, again, everybody's different. Um, I think yeah. the public side, I, I joke about this, you know, in the private side, way less paperwork, way less um, yeah. accountability. <laughs> like every little thing was like, what are you doing every second of the day? And quite frankly, you make a lot more money in the private sector. The difference is, as a contractor, mm-hmm. it's not consistent. But I that worked for me. I loved that variety. I loved like one day I was doing investigation, then a month right. later I was on a protection assignment. That worked for me, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but I I tell a story about a guy that I was friends with when I was living in San Diego, and he was like former cop, currently working security at a college. Yeah. And one day we we're having lunch, and I was home from Columbia, and he looks at me and he goes, Mary Beth, like. I don't know how you live your life. I could not do that. And I look and I go, Bob, I don't know how you live your life. I yeah. that. Right. So it's that whole right. thing of what works for you. Some people really want that consistency. You know they're going to be home every night or at least at some point. And I'm kind of right. like boring. Yeah. You know, I don't care. Like I love that not knowing what's going to happen tomorrow. Absolutely. Yeah. I've, I've gone back and forth in the beginning, beginning of my life. I was all about like chasing the pager. Where are we going? What are we doing? Let's get after it. You know, now I'm a little bit more like, I like my order, but yeah. I have to have my, we're going to this country. We're going, I have to have those spikes. Otherwise I'll like die or something. I don't Seriously. Know. <laughs> I like, it brings so much challenge to like shift things up like that. Yeah. Yeah. It keeps, you, keeps you fresh. Absolutely. And when you've done things like we've done, I think it just becomes like an expectation from life. Like it just keeps you healthy. It keeps you yeah. alive, you know? Yeah. They're depreciable skills. Yes. And that's the fear. That's awesome. What was your takeaway when uh, working in Queens in the stalker unit? Oh yeah. So, so when I did that, so that was part of my time when I was in my forensic psychology master's program at John Jay. And they had you had the option of either doing what they called an externship or you could work in some like research and write a paper, which of course for me was super boring, right? <laughs> and I didn't like any of the externships they had. At the time, you would think that it was super popular, but at the time it was the the only one that was accredited by the American Psychological Association. And you know, forensic psychology was just kind of getting known and kind of getting big. And so I, their externships were really boring to me. So I talked with a professor of mine who introduced me to a woman that was working in the stalking unit in Queens criminal court. And so she introduced me, I I did my whole write up, the program accepted it. And I was able to do this new, which of course they still have that going. Right. But um, (laughs) it was great because it was a great experience and it was one of the first in the country, um, California being that threat management unit was kind of considered the very first. And so we worked with, with victims of stalking. Now, what I will say is we didn't turn down other kinds of victims. And the other thing that I explained to people, which was frustrating to me and I'll explain was Domestic violence and stalking are very, very, they overlap. Like a lot of times the stalking will come out of say a domestic violence situation where the uh, one of them is going to leave. It's usually the woman, I hate to say it, but yeah. it is a crime that's usually um, women are the victims. Not always. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it, I think men far under report. I will say that in yeah. both stalking and domestic violence. Um, but most, I would say 99% of the people that came into the unit were women. Um, and you know, 
for me, stalking victims, pure stalking victims really want help. They don't want this behavior. They don't want the attention. They, they want it to end. When no. it overlaps with domestic violence, yeah. it tends to be a cycle. It's, yeah. oh, I don't want to press charges anymore because he loves me and we're doing great now. And then, then she'd come in and a month later, all beat up and say, I want to, you know, I want to charge that motherfucker. You know, I just, I want to, you know, whatever. And then a week later, it's like, oh, we're good. We made up. And it's like the whole cycle of violence. I get it. I know the psychology, but yeah. for me, because I think probably similar to you, when you're a protector and you're a problem solver and you're a helper, you're a fixer, yeah. it's, it's like, are you, can you just make your decision? And I know yeah. it's often sensitive, but it right. is, it was part of the frustrating facet for me, but I loved the stalking unit. We were only two, they were two full-time women and I was part-time. Um, and I'll tell you what, the amount of work these women did, and how much threat they had against them was incredible. They had people chasing down the street with guns from people that were stalking, stalking perpetrators. So would they like, so they would like make contact and the stalkers would be like, who do you think you are? You screwed me over my life, left me because of you. It's your fault. Oh, geez, oh, it's yeah. I never had that situation. I was not. Go over that. They will kill over that. I mean, it's they the big not. thing with uh, protecting churches and things, you know, they, yes. that pastor such and such is counseling and then the marriage falls apart for whatever reason. And then the guys in your parking lot with an AR. You know? <laughs> well, have you had any of your clients be stalked? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, and that's the and usually the ones that up the level that you're protecting, they're, they're a little bit delusional, probably thinking absolutely. that. Absolutely. They're in love with them or something. They have a relationship with them. And, you know, I'm coming yeah. crying out to tell you about, yeah. you know, and they, yeah. And it's, 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 that's even more dangerous because there's like genuine belief behind their actions and people that really believe what they're doing. You know, we had, uh, you know, a group of guys that believed that they were going to break in and kidnap the principal and take his oh, money. And, uh, get in his jet and fly to some island and fight the antichrist and all this crazy stuff. Wow. But they were driven, wow. you know, they showed up semi-armed, pretty armed. And, you know, <laughs> it's, wow. it's, it's a thing. That's a hell of a story to tell. Yeah. 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 No, it's, it's, it's wow. quite an interesting turn of events. Yeah. Wow. 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 Um, but it all worked out by the grace of God, you know? Yeah. I'll tell you that's, having studied psychology, my doctorate way later in life, it's kind of like kind of did it in reverse order. I kind of studied it in the field and then like really got the education behind it to be able to like understand later. Yeah. Yeah. That experiential information meets like the actual intellect, the ology. Yeah. 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 And the other thing I'll say too is the game has evolved. There was a case somewhere in Asia, like Asian pop uh, star got stopped by, um, someone was able to look at her profile pictures, look into her eyes, get the reflection of what she was looking at, found her at her house and assaulted her. Uh, Are you so, kidding me? Yes, it's really, I mean, you can Google it in two minutes, but wow. yeah, that's so now, wow. you know, social media and kids posting things. And, I mean, it's just opened up a whole nother a different world. Access and, yeah, yeah, another world. That's interesting. Mm. Uh, so yeah, no, that's it's interesting to hear about that that unit in Queens. That's got yeah, it was really unique experience. I got really lucky. Yeah, <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. um, let's see, principles for defense against stalkers. What mm -hmm. type of things would you suggest? Yeah. Um, you know, again, you and I. I don't. I don't know how old you are, but I'm in my mid fifties, and I grew up 
I did not grow up in this crazy social media world, right? right. And I, I every day thank God for that because of the pressure it puts on kids and how much information kids are putting out there that they don't even realize. So, you know, the problem is you can say that to say maybe a 30 something year old who's a little bit more experienced, a little bit more knowledgeable, maybe read some stories about things that have happened to people, but try telling a college kid um, to stop putting all their personal stuff on social media. Yeah. For social proof. Like, right. So, you know, that uh-huh. would be one of the first things I would just say, be really cautious about, you know, where you're saying you're going and who you're going, you know, it's just people, people are looking, they, I mean, oh, there are they're hunting, they're <laughs> hunting, they're predators. So that would be number one. Um, you know, for any woman, I would say this, um, and you said yeah. you have daughters, you know, learn five defense moves. You don't have to be a black belt in Taekwondo or yeah. some, you know, Krav Maga. Great if you want to. Awesome. Yeah. Even learning, you know, to, to find your voice in that and feel powerful. Just learn five moves. Some Do a, a, a no strike, a gun takeaway, you know, be comfortable with being around weapons, maybe not being able to take them away, but maybe, you yeah. know, if you're comfortable, learn how to shoot. If you're comfortable, if not, don't be aware of your surroundings, like quit, quit being so like, Oh, nothing's going to happen to me because listen, we know what happens to anybody. No, we see yeah. it. We live in the other side of the, on the other side of that line, like in that dark yeah. area. It's so hard to read story after story, after story, after story, you know, like the spring break disasters, you know, people that Natalie Holloway, who we've never found in the, the waters of Aruba. I mean, right. you know, I'm not saying she she did anything wrong. She was with people, but like sometimes you get separated and you make this presumption that these these guys are so great. And it's like, you know, just yeah. be smart. Be smart, yeah. you know? I mean, be you smart. can think it's not going to happen to you, but like probably being super careful, like we know, like doing the right training and doing the right, doing your job right yeah. does prevent something crappy from happening. So be that person that can say I'm 50 years old and I've never had, never been mugged, never been raped, never been in a crappy situation, probably because of your preparation. Absolutely. No, and it's even more important for the feminine because they don't have the physical potency that we do. Mm -hmm. No one's hunting me. I don't have the, I don't have the most valuable ass like asset in like humanity Mm -hmm. with me, you know, like I, I don't have that equity that people hunt after and like, do so many things for I you know and and this is something I've always tried to educate the public and you know the women in my lives about that's one of the reasons I post real world violence all the time Mm. and and give that kind of the uh, tactical protection reviews because it's like the really the thinking and the awareness you know is really what helps people avoid more situations than they probably even realize 100% it's that protection IQ, you know, that protection quotient that you have really. I like, like that. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Yeah. That, that, that's yeah. what keeps you out of trouble. Like the physical stuff is, you probably did a lot of things wrong, really. If you find yourself having to go sure. to those or sure. and you can, then you could probably run away, maybe. <laughs> you know, like. I mean, sometimes I was inviting it. I got to be honest. Cause I was yeah. like, I'm practice, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Let's find uh, out. A little yeah. cocky. I got to admit, I, when I was younger, I was a lot more cocky. Yeah. I could only, we all were, you know, uh, <laughs> Okay. Yeah. Be over for now. <laughs> yeah, you learn. And, you know, but I still like you, I'm sure, you know, I play that what if game everywhere. I'm in an elevator. What if that guy pulls a weapon? What if he tries to rape me? What if, what if, what if, what if, what oh, if? Yeah. Always. We live in this as security professionals, especially. And I think everyone should. There's like a, a degree. We live in this world of like a kind of fan, not a fantasy, but like 
I'm always running a threat assessment, vulnerability assessment, and I'm always like tactical positioning. I'm in the elevator. I'm standing where I know I can defend myself. You know, if I got my cell phone in my hand, I'm holding it in a way where I can just drive it through the credit card of his eyes. Need to, you know what I mean? Like, um, you know, you're always thinking this way, and it hundred percent for the civilians listening that are like, that's overwhelming or it's scary. It's like, no. Once these systems become organic to you, like you don't even think about them really. Exactly. So you're like, okay, cool. There's a safe spot. I got visual mastery in my environment. I'm good. I can have a conversation with someone and I can relax now because I have these like shortcuts of protection in place, <laughs> you know? Yeah. 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 I, Way, most people that aren't think that think it's overwhelming, not everybody, but they're the ones that are more vulnerable, like, vulnerable because they aren't thinking in that tactical way. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like driving. You get in the car the first time. You're like, oh, my gosh, I got to do all this stuff, like trying to shift or drive and look over. My yeah. Head. Then after a while, you're like brushing your teeth and sending text messages, even though you shouldn't while you're driving. <laughs> you know? so, OK, now I know you're the one that's on the road. <laughs> I might be. I try not to. Be, you know? um, good I love stuff. when I see women putting on mascara in traffic and I'm like, how right? are you doing that? Yeah. No, yeah, yeah. Everyone's looking. Yeah, <laughs> I've seen those ones too. Uh-huh. Um, the psychology of violence. Mm-hmm. What would you say about that quickly? To My people? class. Yeah, like what? What? Like if you're gonna break down a little bit, just a window into the psychology of violence. Like what's behind that? You know what? Is yeah. That? So this what's is what on? I really appreciate. This is going to be if I teach it in the fall, which would be online yeah. or a hybrid, because I would commit to flying out for a week a month. Um, and, and being in person, um, I really appreciate every student. I have two sections of 65 students each and inevitably, you know, they say it has been so interesting. And it's always time we peel the onion back and it's like, you see the person, even though they might be, you know, a serial killer, you see that like, maybe they had a shitty childhood. Maybe they were abused. Maybe, maybe like there's just, and then what are the brain factors that go in? And that's created a huge um, sort of conundrum. We've gotten to these um, debates about, well, okay, if a psychopath that's been a serial killer does have say issues with their prefrontal cortex and their amygdala, are they truly responsible mm. for what they've done because they were born this way? Right. Mm. Interesting. And it's like, well, they've thankfully only scratched the surface because there are, although a lot of psychopaths do have issues with their prefrontal cortex and their amygdala, which is the emotional center. So they, they lack empathy, they right. lack force. Um, lots of people that aren't killing people have those things as well. So there's no direct, like you can't say hundred yeah. percent, right? They got to do more work on that before they can prove that they have tried to enter that in the court of law, but they haven't won yet. Interesting. So the psychology of crime and violence really peels back biology, which is not just genetics. It's, you know, neurotransmitters, it's um, genetics. It's a lot of different things that contribute to what could happen in a person combined with environmental triggers. And when I say environment, that could be the environment we brought, we're brought up in, meaning our home. And then you can go a little bit further. You can go the community I was brought up in. Was it like, was, was I, super elite? Did I have a ton of money? Was I brought up in poverty? Did I have bad influences? Did I join some kind of group that got me into a cult? Like, what are all the influences? What's the environment I live in now? Like, look at Jeffrey Dahmer. He had kind of a little bit, there's a bunch of interviews on YouTube, ones with his father. Hmm. You know, there was some stuff with his parents, but like, again, when you and I talk about cognitive behavioral, the way he processed it was like, okay, lots of people's parents fight, but why did you then go to like violence and bullying, you know, like what were your motive? How were you processing things? So right. 
you know, you really look at what are the various factors that play into people committing violence, not just here's this horrendous piece of shit serial killer who's taking the lives of several people. But, you know, I start the class um, and I assign them a chapter of a book that's very well known. And it's called um, He, Whoever Fights Monsters. Hmm. And it was written by a former FBI profiler and it's called the vampire killer. And the vampire killer was called the vampire killer because he drank the blood of his victims. And yeah, well, he was schizophrenic. He had schizophrenia and he believed in his delusional world that if he didn't drink the blood of his victims, that he would die. Yeah. So he would come upon these crime scenes of blenders full and yogurt cups full of blood that he had drank. And um, I assign that it's a little bit gory, I gotta be honest, but I assign it because I have such a long waiting list of the class that I, I say to people, if you can't handle this, can you just please drop? Because we have a yeah, lot of- Don't things. waste our time here. Because yeah. it's gonna get worse. Yeah. Right, so yeah. yeah. And I love the class. I feel so fortunate that George Washington University not only allowed me to, but like they've continued to allow me to because I'm an adjunct professor. I'm extra money to them. Right. I'm not a full-time faculty member. Right. So I just cost them money, but lots of people come in from psychology and then criminal justice. So it's a really nice mix of kids. That's beautiful. Of course. Yeah. That's a really interesting course, even for me. Yeah. And I love that um, you kind of dig into like the nature and nurture component, like uh, components that play into that, but also the humanity of it, you know, because I feel like humans, something that we, Jordan Peterson talks about this a lot. And I love me some Jordan Peterson. Yeah. He's intense. He's, yeah, I love it. And it's chewy stuff. His content is deep. It's very rich. You'll be talking to your yeah. subconscious and you'll be like, wow, yeah. that's kind of like, oh, yeah. that's interesting. I think that's in there somewhere. But I think that it's really important for people to understand the humanity uh, mm-hmm. of these evil things and evil people, supposedly evil people. Right. Um, understand that that is inside of a lot of people and can be. You know, and and whenever I hear someone say something like, you know, I could never, or how could da da da, and I'm just like, listen, man, we're all capable of a lot yeah. of things. We yeah. haven't lived, we haven't lived his life. You know, the meanings that they're given to things, like yeah. this humanity, is very on the spectrum of things we're capable of. You have no idea. Agreed. You know, even for me going to war and coming back, like when I was there, I remember thinking thoughts and kind of experimenting with myself of what I was capable of. And I was like, man, mm. I was capable of a lot of real, I was, you have to turn into this thing in order to survive. You stare into the abyss long enough, it stares back. For into sure. you. Okay. Um, yeah, well, it's and, survival, uh, right? It's yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah. No. So it's very important, I think, to understand the humanity aspects of it so we can protect ourselves from it really. hundred percent. And, and uh, that's, that's great. That's awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Um, let's see. Advice to women wanting to get into fields that are male dominated, the protection industry, law enforcement, federal agents. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, as I said, uh, or as I say, you know, I, I walked into, but no, rather I barged into an, a male dominated industry. Okay. Yeah. And I said this before, don't expect the red carpet. Like mm-hmm. you, you still are at maybe 13 to 15% of the population. You're yeah. still going to have to prove yourself. It's still male dominated. Uh, there, there's a lot more people that are open-minded to your presence in the field, but like, here's, here's my mentality. Don't, don't give me something because I'm a woman. Do me, give me something because I deserve it. So yeah, 
do, do your freaking job. Like keep your head down, do your job. Um, keep your nose clean. Like don't, and again, this might sound terrible, but I am going to share this. When I was a secret service agent, they had a women agents, um, club society, whatever they called it organization. And I kept saying, no, you know, no, no. And they kept saying, oh, Mary Beth, like all these different women come to our meeting, whatever, each month. And I was just like, no. And I'm probably like month six, I was like, or maybe eight, whatever. I was like, fine, I'm going to go. But I, I think it's just going to prove what I thought it was. So I go right. to the meeting and I come out of there. I was like, yep, exactly what I thought it was going to be. <laughs> bitching, bitching about what yeah. we were getting. And so for me, all I can speak is, is for me. Mm-hmm. That for me, that negativity, that what am I not getting doesn't work for me. That's just going to bring me down. It's going to make me bitter about my colleagues. Right. Um, it doesn't for me promote healthy friendships with other women. I would like that to be, let's talk about like, just like, let's just be friends and let's just talk about the things we are getting and like, wow, it's really great. You know, I know I'm being a little bit rainbows and butterflies, but I think, you know, going back to that cognitive behavior, if you keep putting unhealthy stuff in your head, it's who you become. And then everyone around you is an asshole. Yeah. It shapes your perspective. (laughs) Use the lens through which you look is one of my famous uh, quotes. And so, you know, I really hope that the whole purpose of that organization has shifted. I don't know. Um, but I have another female friend that came and spoke to my psychology of crime and violence class. And she said the exact same thing. Kept my, I kept my head nose down, did my job, and it gained the respect of people by working hard. So that, that's what I would say to women is know what you're walking into. Uh, recognize, you know, the pitfalls um, and kick ass, like stay at, stay in good shape, stay respectful, do your job, quit whining. Yes. Whining doesn't help anybody, male or female, but specifically, because they're waiting for us to like, oh, this is too hard or, oh, right? So yeah, never let them see you sweat. That's my motto. I don't care if you're like dying. You just, you go get that crap out after work, but don't let them see it. Yes. I love that. I, uh, I, I, I'm writing that down. That's going to be the tagline for this thing. See you sweat. <laughs> Never <laughs> let him see you sweat ever. See you sweat because you can't change what you can't take responsibility for. And yeah. it's like joining any, it's like coming, rolling up on any tribe. Okay. Who's this guy? Now you got to earn your spot, you know? And exactly. if they have things they believe about you, you're going to have to prove them wrong or you'll yep. prove them right. You know? Yep. Um, and there'll be social pressure. It's, it's, I had uh, a guy, I had an older guy say to me one time I was sitting in the command post and he says to me, booze, broads, and Buicks. Man, that was the life. And you women, you screwed that up for us. <laughs> and I looked at him and I go, God, it seems like the best thing the Secret Service ever did. He, goes, <laughs> he just starts laughing. He's like, okay, you're okay. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> okay, fine. But it was like a test, right? Yeah, oh yeah. Oh, and I was yeah, gonna go, oh my God, you're so mean. You're like, oh, come on, like whatever. You know, yeah, I'm you sure he believes that. But yeah. it is, we are here, so deal with us, right? Yeah, no, I love it. That's what's up, uh, great stuff. Mm-hmm. Hardest lesson you've learned in the field? Mm. Um, hardest lesson I've learned in the field. Suck it up. <laughs> yeah, suck it up, buttercup. <laughs> it's, it's how I became a great runner. That's that was my never let him see you sweat, but then like go hit the road after because you're so pissed off or because you're you're processing something, right? Yeah. Processing. So that was my coping mechanism. And for some people thinking about that is more stressful. So you've got to find your own ways to deal with your crap. Yeah. The crap happens. This is a stressful job. This yeah. is a high intensity, don't fuck up or people die job. Yeah. No, 
it's a it's a no f up mission. Right. Yeah. One hundred percent. Yeah, um, so, yeah. Having that self, those self-care regimented process, that stuff, that's in the morning when I get my workout in, that's what I'm doing. I'm processing. I'm trying to make myself emotionally and, and spiritually stronger along mm-hmm. with my physical awesome. body, you know, and, and it, and I'm also trying to prove to myself that I, I'm, I can, and I'm capable. So I have the courage to do the things that I know yes. that I need to do. You know, <laughs> like that's what we're all, you know. And yeah, but that takes some processing and some reminders. You know, that's what I'm saying. Like those yeah. mantras are really helpful. Yeah, that's huge. That's good stuff. I love it. Uh, proudest moment in the field. I would say too, I would say first getting the job as a secret service agent. You know, that had been yeah. a very many year goal. Um, and for me, again, going back to that being the fifth kid, feeling really proud to tell my parents. Yeah. Um, and then I would say uh, my final, what I would consider like my final big job in the field, which was that position in Bogota, Colombia that I, um, got. And I, uh, I did for two and a half years, which if I didn't get so bored so easily, I could have stayed for six years because we have a budget, but, um, you know, it was, uh, a three person team managing millions of dollars in a country that was pretty darn dangerous when we were there. Um, I had, I had a, I made it out a live party and went to Hawaii after I hey. came back. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, and I don't think I realized it until I got back about like one day I was living in San Diego at the time and I'm walking downtown San Diego. And I remember kind of walking against the buildings away from the cars. And I didn't realize that I was like, like there could be a car bomb. Cause that happened all the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, oh my God. I didn't even realize, you know, you, you just, you, you're operating, you're operating, you're operating right. for survival and you don't realize. So um, I think, you know, do you know the name Tony Scotty, the driving school, the anti-terrorism yeah. driving school? So he is a mentor of mine. And nice. um, he, I had convinced him to come down to Bogota and give us instructors, um, three of us, um, driver training. And he came down and I was telling him, like, I was already getting bored and I wanted to leave. And then I called him when I made the decision to leave. He's like, he's got this great Boston Italian accent. He's like, Mary Beth. He goes, you know, do you know how many men would want that position? I go, I, Tony, I don't care. I'm bored. Yeah. And he's just like, you know, only you, Mary Beth. Like, yeah, I go, Tony, it's like, I got to do, like, they could keep paying me all this money, but like, I've done this so many times and I've said yeah. the same things over and over. How many times do I have to say it? And right. that's kind of how I operate. I just, it's something in me that just needs to produce, that needs the, the challenge and the accomplishment always. And I don't know what's next. <laughs> yes. Okay. That's good. I love it. You have your metrics, you know. Yeah, it's, it's a good and bad, but it keeps me uh, alive. Alive, yes, exactly. Happy. That's awesome. It's awesome to know those things that you need. Yeah, um, I, mean, I don't know about you, but I also live with a man. He's a former Navy SEAL, and like that keeps me on my toes too because I can't be a schlep. Like he's freaking always accomplishing. So, yes. you know, <laughs> that's awesome. <clears throat> that's yeah. good, and I love to hear when warriors stay in that stay in that mode, you know, find mm-hmm. your fight. Yeah, you got out, cool. You've killed some dragons and stuff in your past life, but you better find your new fight because a warrior without a without a war. Yeah. It's your purpose and cool. your of identity kicks in and you, you tap out long internally before physically. Um, yeah, that's sure. a very important thing, you know, and if yeah. you want to motivate your partner, be legit, stay yeah. legit, leave yeah. in front. That's outstanding. Yeah, love it. Thank you. Yeah. What would you say your favorite quote or mantra? You dropped a couple, but yeah. Yeah, definitely never let them see you sweat. I mean, that is true. Even, you know, even as a professor, um, 
I still have that mentality. Like sometimes students say the most effed up things and <laughs> you're inside going, Oh my God, this is going to be my challenge this semester. This kid, you know, kid right here. <laughs> uh, looking at me, like, how is she going to react? Like what is yeah. going on? It's like, so that is for sure. Um, I would also say not just the, you're stronger than you think you are, but like you belong, like there's still like, I don't care what anybody sells. I'll speak for myself. Yeah. I still have self-doubt about stuff. I'm like, but I've learned, I got to be honest, probably in the past five years, as opposed to saying, oh, I'm not sure, like that might be a little bit too high level for me. I say yes to everything that they yes. ask me, these interviews, um, different other things that I'm like, I say yes. And then I'm like, oh my God, like, what am I going to do? <laughs> yeah, but, then, but, then I, but guess what? I end up doing it, don't I? Yeah. I've learned a lot, even in the past five years of stop the self-doubt. Like you can do anything. Like you might not be, do it perfectly. You might F up. Right. But so you did it. You did and it. You learned. You're more dangerous now. Did it. Good. <laughs> you know? Right. And I'm the same way. Oh, I walk through all the doors, walk through all the doors, get baptized. By yep. that I love that. Yeah. Yeah. And so, theories and ideas. Go learn. You know, Yeah. that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, habit that you think people should look into that may, you know, makes you a better person or a better protector. Something yeah. I would say two things. I would say if you're a protector, and you are not physically fit, um, you need to reconsider. Right. Um, it's such an advantage, and I don't mean just looks, but yeah. you know, I am a huge believer in the mental and physical health being so intertwined um, that it gives you such an advantage mentally because you feel more powerful, yeah. Um, yeah. you feel more present. Yeah. Um, yeah. I would also then add the more slash spiritual side, which I think also helps the physical is the meditation. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm not saying like, even uh, a friend of mine said, I was like, oh, you know, this is a while back. I was kind of like, oh, you know, I'm frustrated with myself because I haven't been as consistent as I want to with meditation. She goes, Mary, that you can meditate anywhere. Sit down for one minute. It's meditation. Yeah. It'll center you. It'll give you that one minute, you know, and then I do an app, you know, I do the 10% happier app. I've tried a, a few of the apps. I like them. Okay. Um, you know, they have a free seven day trial and there's no session that's more than 10 minutes. Nice. I got to tell you, I did a 30 day challenge um, a year ago at Christmas and I can't even explain it to you how it shifted. It made me more mellow. Yeah. It taught me things like I'm going to respond, not react. Yeah. Um, it really, and then that made, that made me process that the rest of the day. Once I heard that, I'm like, Oh, respond, not react. Okay. And I've passed that along to a lot of people that, that statement that respond, not react. And, you know, just centers you more. And then like, it, it it's hard to explain until you do it. But I know, like I have a student that spoke to the class about how it changed his life. And, yeah. it, you know, choose your thing. Some for, it doesn't work for some people, but try it. Try 100%. It. I've mm-hmm. had so many people on this show talk about meditation. Mm. And for me, as you know, I always say perspective dictates performance. I mm-hmm. love that, but it's so huge. And I will, on an almost daily basis, sit down for 10 minutes and just think and like pass that perspective. Like, this is where we're going. This is what we got to get done today. This is the future I'm creating you know, and working backwards. I'm like, what do I need to get done? And it just gives you so much peace, <laughs> you know, when you know you your mission set. Yeah. It's so important, you guys. It's really huge because so much of us don't stop to do the exercise of just thinking and processing. And it's so, so important. Or just you need You need something because the day is so intense and it's really your day as a protector is about somebody else and their life and keeping them alive. You right. got to take care of you. 100 percent. that's great stuff and then finally 
what's it all for? You know, how would you like to be remembered? As an, as a badass. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. That's awesome. I love it. Yeah. And I mean, like, not just physically, but like, like just not letting anything, not letting anything stop me or not letting anybody tell me I can't. Yeah. 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 You know? You're doing that. I mean, when I so far, I saw, yeah, so far. <laughs> yeah, I saw your bio and I was like, "Wow!" Yeah. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, finally, where can people find you, and what are you up to these days? Yeah. So uh, you can find me at uh, www.doctor.that'sdrmarybeth.com. Um, again, I do. Uh, I, actually, on my website, you can hyperlink to my Psychology Today blog, which I. I've only done four or five. I'm actually due to write one. Um, and I'm teaching. I'm I'm both teaching. Um, again, don't know what's going to happen this fall. They are planning right. on being person, but I think the world has changed as far as mentality on education. And I think GW would be silly to not allow online if people are willing to take it because um, they still make the money. And then I do mental health first aid trainings for a very large corporation. And those are used to be four hours in person. I'm hoping those come again in person, but they're currently two hours online on Zoom. And then I have a bunch of clients um, that I uh, therapize, as I say. Yes. Coach, therapize, um, you know, some of them I have one, two, three, five, six. Um, Some I speak to weekly, some like this morning, I spoke for almost three hours to my client. Wow. Right before I talked to you. Yeah, she's been talking for a while here. Oh, she was an East Coaster, so I start every Wednesday at six a.m. with her. Wow, nice. My time, my time. Yeah. Okay, outstanding. Yeah, so I mean, you know, this last year has been a little bit um, interesting for people. Some, some, it's been great. You know, as far as family time and such, and for some people, it's um, disintegrated their marriage or their family or their job. Oh yeah, absolutely. And if you got kids like you do, I don't know if that online teaching. Mm-mm. So that's been really challenging. So yeah, it's been for me. It's been a really good year. Um, I I think probably similar to you. Like I've been in crappier times that are have been indefinite. And I think those of us that work like that just think this is this too shall pass. Yeah, we'll get to the other side. We don't know what's going to look like, but it'll be the new normal. Like we're kind of getting into kind of. Yeah. And there are advantages to everything to every season. Indeed. Season there, and you just got to have that perspective to find them, have the tools to leverage them, or just develop sure. the tools. But yeah, there's advantages everywhere. And, it's like, and you just said it develop the tools. Like yeah. we're humans, we're competent, we're capable people. Develop those tools. 100%. And this is the age of information. There's no yeah, excuse. No like, no excuse. You can literally download anyone's ideas about how they solve probably higher quality so problems. True. Like that. And you yeah. can go ahead and just do it. Just do it. And yeah. no one's come to save you. No one's just, <laughs> no. you got to figure it out. That's it. Nope. <laughs> you know, your mom will love you either way. You Pull just got to figure it out. Yep. You know? mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's great stuff. Now, this has been really, really fantastic speaking with you. Yeah, you too, Byron. Thank you for having me. That's an honor. Yeah, you're in yeah. Glad that we're connected wherever we do this. Yeah, looking forward to chatting maybe in the future. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I got something else I'm going to holler at you about. Uh oh! <laughs> <Great>. <laughs> We're looking forward to that. Yeah, well, thank thanks. you so much once again. Yeah, and, thank uh, you. Looking forward to everything. Awesome. Have an awesome day. Awesome. You too. Thanks. Um, yo, if you're a private security professional wanting to take your game to the next level, go to executiveprotectiontrainingday.com to check out my personal success package for private security professionals. Check it out.
executiveprotectiontrainingday.com. And remember, y'all, hard skills do save lives, but soft skills get you paid. Boom. Boom. And to support this podcast, go to executiveprotectionlifestyle.com and contribute to our Patreon account. That Patreon account is what helps me make this podcast possible, contributing to this brand, what we're doing here, making it so that I can bring better guests on, making it so that we can plan more events and just expand the contribution to the private security industry and also to make an America a safer place. Do whatever you can, contribute whatever you can because it makes all of these things possible. Thanks for those contributions. Yo, and before we go, you know I got a shout out to the sponsors, starting out with Primary Weapon Systems, PWS. They truly are the evolution of the rifle. Use Byron for 10% off. Grayman and Company, the most comfortable tactical suits in the game. Use Byron for 10% off with them. Until the next podcast, this is Byron Rogers, protected by nature and by trade. Out. Boom.